section twenty three of history of australia and new zealand from sixteen ninety six to eighteen ninety this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by avai in october two thousand nineteen history of australia and new zealand from sixteen ninety six to eighteen ninety by alexander and george sutherland the times of the maoris part one one the maoris so far as we know the original inhabitants of new zealand were a dark-skinned race called maoris a people lithe and handsome of body though generally plain of features open frank and happy in youth grave and often melancholy in their older years they numbered forty thousand in the north island where the warmth of the climate suited them but in the south island there were only two thousand they were divided into tribes who fought fiercely with one another cooked and ate the bodies of the slain and carried off the vanquished to be slaves they dwelt in houses sometimes neatly built of wooden slabs more often of upright poles with broad grass leaves woven between them the roofs were of glass pleated and thatched to these abodes the entrances were only some two or three feet high and after crawling through the visitor who entered at night would see the master of the house his wives his children his slaves indeed all his household to the number of twenty or thirty lying on mats in rows down either side with their heads to the walls and their feet to the centre leaving a path down the middle in these rooms they slept with a fire burning all night till what with the smoke and the breaths of so many people the place was stifling the roofs were only four feet higher than the ground outside but then inside the earth was hollowed a foot or two to make the floor so that a man could just stand upright these houses were gathered in little villages often pleasantly situated beside a stream or on the seashore but sometimes for defence they were placed on a hill and surrounded by high fences with ditches and earthen walls so as to make a great stronghold of the kind they called a pa the trenches were sometimes twenty or thirty feet deep but generally the pa was built so that a rapid river or high precipices would defend two or three sides of it while only the sides not so guarded by nature were secured by ditches and a double row of palisades within these enclosures stages were erected behind the palisades so that the fighting men could hurl stones and spears and defy an attacking party two maori customs round their villages and paths they dug up the soil and planted the sweet potato and the taro which is the root of a kind of arum lily they also grew the gourd called calabash from whose hard rind they made pots and bowls and dishes when the crops of sweet potato and taro were over they went out into the forest and gathered the roots of certain sorts of ferns which they dried and kept for their winter food they netted fish and eels they caught sharks with hook and line and dried their flesh in the sun 
to enjoy these meals in comfort they had a broad veranda round their houses which formed an open and generally pleasant dining-room where they gathered in family circles bound by much affection for one another the girls especially were sweet and pretty their mild manners their soft and musical voices the long lashes of their drooping eyes with the gloss of their olive-tinted skins made them perfect types of dusky beauty grown a little older they were by no means so attractive and then when married they deeply scored their faces by the process of tattooing their men had their faces hips and thighs tattooed that is all carved in wavy lines which were arranged in intricate patterns the women tattooed only their lips chins and eyelids but often smeared their faces with red ochre and soaked their hair with oil men and women wore round the waist a kilt of beautifully woven flax and over the shoulders a mat of the same material they were expert sailors and built themselves large canoes which thirty or forty men would drive forward keeping time with their paddles their large war canoes were sixty and seventy feet long and would carry one hundred men thus they were by no means uncivilized but their condition was in some respects most barbarous in person they were dirty and in manners proud and arrogant they were easily offended and never forgave what they considered as an injury or insult this readiness to take offence and to avenge themselves caused the neighbouring tribes to be for ever at war they fought with great bravery slaughtered each other fiercely and ate the bodies sometimes they killed their captives or slaves in order to hold a cannibal feast according to their own traditions they had not been always in these islands their ancestors came from afar and each tribe had its own legendary account but they all agreed that they came from an island away to the north in the pacific which they called hawaiki and there is little doubt but that some hundreds of years ago their forefathers must in truth have emigrated from some of the south sea islands whether they found natives on the islands and killed them all we cannot now discover there are no traces of any earlier people but the maoris in their traditions say that people were found on the islands and slain and eaten by the invaders one tribe declared that long ago in far-off habaiki a chief hated another but was too weak to do him harm he fitted out a canoe for a long voyage and suddenly murdered the son of his enemy he then escaped on board the canoe with his followers and sailed away forever from his home this legend declared how after many adventures he at length reached new zealand another legend relates that in hawaiki the people were fighting and a tribe being beaten was forced to leave the island sorrowfully it embarked in two canoes and sailed away out upon the tossing ocean till directed by the voice of their god sounding from the depths below them they landed on the shores of new zealand how many centuries they lived and multiplied there it is impossible to say as they had no means of writing and recording their history three tasman the earliest we know of them for certain is in the journal of tasman 
who writes under the date of 13th December 1642, that he had that day seen shores never before beheld by white men. He was then holding eastward after his visit to Tasmania, and the shore he saw was the mountainous land in the North Island. He rounded what we now call Cape Farewell, and anchored in a fine bay, whose green and pleasant shores were backed by high snow-capped mountains. Several canoes came off from the beach filled by Maoris, who lay about a stone's throw distant and sounded their war-trumpets. The Dutch replied by a flourish of their horns. For several days the Maoris would come no nearer, but on the sixth they paddled out with seven canoes and surrounded both vessels. Tasman noticed that they were crowding in a somewhat threatening manner round one of his ships, the Heemskerk, and he sent a small boat with seven men to warn the captain to be on his guard. When the Maoris saw these seven men without weapons sailing past their canoes, they fell on them, instantly killed three and began to drag away their bodies, no doubt to be eaten. The other four Dutchmen, by diving and swimming, escaped and reached the ship half dead with fright. Then with shouts the whole line of Maori canoes advanced to attack the ships, but a broadside startled them. They were stupefied for a moment at the flash and roar of the cannon and the crash of the woodwork of their canoes. Then they turned and fled, carrying with them, however, one of the bodies. Tasman sailed down into Cook Strait, which he very naturally took to be a bay, the weather being too thick for him to see the passage to the southeast. He then returned and coasted northwards to the extreme point of New Zealand, which he called Cape Maria van Diemen, probably after the wife of that governor of Batavia who had sent out the expedition. Tasman called the lands he had thus discovered New Zealand, after that province of Holland which is called Zeeland or the Sealand. The bay in which he had anchored was called Murderers or Massacre Bay. 4. Captain Cook For more than a hundred years New Zealand had no white men as visitors. It was in 1769 that Captain Cook, on his way home from Tahiti, steering to the southwest in the hope of discovering new lands, saw the distant hills of New Zealand. Two days later he landed on the east coast of the North Island, a little north of Hawke Bay. There lay the little ship the Endeavour at anchor, with its bulging sides afloat on a quiet bay, in front a fertile but steeply sloping shore with a pa on the crown of a hill, and a few neat little houses by the side of a rapid stream. In the evening, Cook, Banks, and other gentlemen took the pinnace and rowed up the streamlet. They landed, leaving some boys in charge of the boat, and advanced towards a crowd of Maoris, making friendly signs as they approached. The Maoris ran away, but some of them, seeing their chance, made a dash at the boys in the boat and tried to kill them. The boys pushed off and dropped down the stream. The Maoris chased them, determined on mischief. Four of them being very murderous, the coxswain fired a musket over their heads. They were startled, but continued to strike at the boys with wooden spears. Seeing the danger, the coxswain leveled his musket and shot one of the Maoris dead on the spot.
the others fled and cook hearing the report of the gun hurried back and at once returned to the ship over and over again cook did everything he could devise to secure the friendship of these people but they always seemed to have only one desire and that was to kill and eat the white visitors one day five canoes came out to chase the endeavor as she was sailing along the coast another time nine canoes densely filled with men sailed after her paddling with all their might to board the vessel in these and many other cases cannon had to be fired over their heads to frighten them before they would desist from their attempt to capture the ship at one bay the maoris made friends and went on board the endeavour to sell provisions but when all was going forward peaceably they suddenly seized a boy and pulled him into their canoe they were paddling away with him when some musket shots frightened them and in the confusion the boy dived and swam back cook sailed completely round the north island charting the shores with great care often landing sometimes finding tribes who made friends more often finding tribes whose insolence or treachery led to the necessity of firing upon them with small shot if he had only known the customs of these people he would have understood that to be friendly with one tribe meant that the next tribe would murder and eat them for revenge he then sailed round the south island landing less frequently however till at length he took his leave of new zealand at what he called cape farewell and sailed away to australia he had been nearly six months exploring the coasts of these islands and that in a very small vessel during his time he had left pigs and goats fowls and geese to increase in the forests where they soon multiplied especially the pigs potatoes and turnips were left with many tribes who quickly learned how to grow them so that after ten or twelve years had passed away these vegetables became the chief food of all the maoris five french visitors whilst cook was sailing round the north island a french vessel anchored in a bay of that island in search of fresh water the ngapuhi tribe received them with pleasure and gave them all the assistance in their power but some of them stole a boat the captain named de surville then seized one of the chiefs and put him in irons the boat not being given up he burnt a village and sailed to south america the chief dying on the road three years later in seventeen seventy two came another frenchman marion dufresne with two ships this time for the express purpose of making discoveries he sailed up the west coast rounded the north cape and anchored in the bay of islands he landed and made friends with the ngampuhi tribe and took his six sailors ashore the maoris brought him plenty of fish and dufresne made them presents in return for a month the most pleasant relations continued the maoris often sleeping on board and the french officers spending the night in the maori houses one day captain marion went ashore with sixteen others to enjoy some fishing at night they did not return captain crozet who was second in command thought they had chosen to sleep ashore but the next day he sent a boat with twelve men to find where they were 
these men were scattering carelessly through the woods when suddenly a dense crowd of maoris who had concealed themselves attacked and killed all the frenchmen but one he who escaped was hidden behind some bushes and he saw his comrades brained one after another then he saw the fierce savages cut their bodies in pieces and carry them away in baskets to be eaten when the maoris were gone he crept along the shore and swam to the ship which he reached half dead with terror jose landed sixty men and the natives gathered for a fight but the frenchmen merely fired volley after volley into a solid mass of maori warriors who stupefied at the flash and roar were simply slaughtered as they stood Crozier burned both the maori villages and sailed away in later times the maoris explained that the french had desecrated their religious places by taking the carved ornaments out of them for firewood six cook's later visits in his second voyage cook twice visited new zealand in seventeen seventy three and seventeen seventy four he had two vessels one of them under the command of captain fourneau while his later vessel was waiting in queen charlotte sound a bay opening out of cook strait captain fourneau sent a boat with nine men who were to go on shore and gather green stuff for food a crowd of maoris surrounded them and one offered to sell a stone hatchet to a sailor who took it but to tease the native in silly sailor fashion this sailor would neither give anything for it nor hand it back the maori in a rage seized some bread and fish which the sailors were spreading for their lunch the sailors closed to prevent their touching the victuals a confused struggle took place during which the english fired and killed two natives but before they could load again they were all knocked on the head with the green stone axes of the maoris an officer sent ashore later on with a strong force found several baskets of human limbs and in one of them a head which he recognized as that of a sailor belonging to the party the officer attacked some hundreds of the maoris as they were seated at their cannibal feast and drove them away from the half-gnawed bones cook again touched at new zealand in the course of his third voyage and this time succeeded in maintaining friendly relations with the maoris during a short visit but when the story of cook's voyage was published in later years the people of europe conceived a deep horror of these fierce man-eating savages seven the whalers for ten or twelve years new zealand was not visited by white men but the foundation of a town at sydney in seventeen eighty eight brought ships out much more often into these waters and before long it was found that the seas round new zealand were well stocked with whales vessels came out to carry on the profitable business of catching them and taking their oil to europe for fresh water and for fuel for their stoves they called at the shores of new zealand chiefly at queen charlotte sound at dusky bay on the west coast of south island but especially at the bay of islands near the extreme north of north island there they not only got fresh water but bought fish and pork and potatoes from the friendly tribes of natives paying for them with knives and blankets and although quarrels sometimes occurred and deaths took place on both sides the whalers continued more and more to frequent these places 
sometimes the sailors attracted by the good looks of the maori girls took them as wives and lived in new zealand these men generally acted as sealers they caught the seals that abounded on some parts of the coast and gathered their skins until the ships called back when the captain would give them tobacco and rum guns and powder in exchange for their sealskins these the sealers generally shared with the maoris who therefore began to find out that it was good to have a white man to be dwelling near them he brought ships to trade and the ships brought articles that the maoris began to value end of section twenty three